I've never told this story to anyone. It took me a moment or two to realise what I'd just agreed to. The first mistake that I ever made in my life. She said, I'm leaving Broome now, I'm coming to meet you. The memory lasted forever. Wanted young dynamic people to join our dog sledding family. All I know is that. It was like a shockwave going through my body. We're all about transportation here at Spun Stories, and in this next podcast episode, we step back in time as Rebecca Day takes us back to her childhood in the northeast of England. It was one that involved raging teenage angstiness and frustration with adults, especially parents, and I'm sure this is a story that we can all see ourselves in at some point or another. My name's Jess Ong, and you're listening to a podcast from Spun, a live storytelling night in Darwin. Wow, there's lots of you out there. Um, I'm four years old, and my dad is my superhero. That's my dad up there hanging from the top branch of a tree with one arm. He's throwing acorns at me and my sister. My dad is so strong. He's got biceps, like steroid-fed chicken breasts. (laughs) But not only is my dad strong, he's really fast and he's fearless. And he might not be as big as your dad, but he's going to run rings around your dad on the five-a-side pitch. And when that guy whose eyes are too close together starts a fight, my dad's going to stick up for your dad. But not only is he strong and fast and fearless, but he's also really good fun. And while your dad's standing at the bottom of the snow-covered slope, talking to the other fat dads, (laughs) my dad is hurtling down the hill on a pink plastic sledge. When I was four, we lived in the northeast of England in this grimy little new town called Peter Lee. My dad always said that Peter Lee was like the armpit of the north. But actually, looking back, it was more like the asshole. (laughs) We lived in this council estate where all the houses were the exact same tiny grey box. They didn't even have pointy roofs. And you couldn't walk more than about two metres before you stood in dog shit. (laughs) Somebody had always written something really offensive, like, Dave is a dickhead. on the wall outside of our house. And it was about this time when I was four that my parents decided they just didn't love each other anymore. And for whatever reason at that time, my dad decided that he was going to be a single parent dad. Now you've got to remember this was the 1980s and gender stereotypes were pretty strong. Dads went to work, earned the cash, taught you how to ride your bike and put up the shelves on the weekend. Mums popped out kids and made spaghetti bolognese. (laughs) And I remember more than once having to explain to my friends at school that my mum wasn't dead. She just lived really far away. The first day that my parents physically parted, my dad was moving temporarily up the road to the flat. Now, the flat was another smaller grimy grey box stacked on top of other grimy grey boxes. And this day was probably a really sad and solemn day for my dad, 
but it felt like an adventure to me and my sister all the same. We were helping, carrying the occasional book, maybe a pair of shoes, and an ornament of a Shetland pony <laughs> that came to a sticky three-legged end. <laughs> and the last thing that needed to be carried was this grimy old mattress, the first place that my dad would sleep as a single fella. Dad was at the front, five foot three. Dave was at the back, his friend, six foot four. And as they carried this mattress up the street, with curtains twitching, nosy neighbours wondering what was happening at number 67, my sister and I were getting in the way. When we got to the flat, I remember my sister saying, Dad, it smells like we here. And they hauled the mattress up the stairs and dumped it in the living room. There was only one room in this flat. And Dad went into the kitchen for a breather, cigarette. <laughs> and me and my sister started bouncing around the room, bouncing on the sofa, bouncing on the mattress. And when my father came back into the room, he said, what the hell is that smell? And there in front of him, on his single man mattress, the first place he'd sleep as a single fella, tiny, little dog poo footprints. <laughs> it was the sign of things to come. <laughs> when I was six, my dad really thought he'd got the hang of this single parent dad thing. He took us off to B&Q, which was kind of like the English version of Bunnings, except without the sausage sizzle. And me and my sister thought this was the most magnificent DIY wonderland. My sister went off right to terrorise the puppies in the pet section. And I went off left, God knows where. But I'm sure my dad was thinking, five minutes of peace. <laughs> so my dad got the bits and bobs he needed. He scooped up my sister who was screaming for a puppy. And he came yelling down the aisles to find me. And as he came round aisle 19, shouting, Bex, where the bloody hell are you? In the distance, he heard a little voice shouting, Dad, they've run out of toilet roll. <laughs> and as he came round the corner, there in plain view of everyone, dangling in the distance, were two little legs. And I'd just taken a crap in the display loo. <laughs> So up went the pants over the dirty little bottom. One child over one shoulder, one child over the other. And a quick escape was made from being q It was only going to get worse. When I was 13, things really escalated. I was like this tidal wave of puberty-induced angst. And on this particular Friday, I decided that I was going to wag school. And I only had two objectives in mind. Number one, get drunk. Number two, snog Paul Fisher, the hottest boy <laughs> in the year above. <laughs> so objective number one was pretty easy because there was this guy down the street from us. Let's just call him Mr. Badman. And Mr. Badman used to take his van off to France, fill it up from floor to ceiling 
with cheap French booze and bring it back to Peter Lee to sell to all the kids. <laughs> now, Mr. Badman did have some morals. He would only sell it to you if you were 13. <laughs> so there I was, a bottle of two quid Asti Spumanti stuffed in my school bag, buried underneath my sweaty gym gear. And I was off home to tell my dad some sufficiently elaborate lies about where I'd be that night. Unfortunately, objective number two didn't go well. By 9 p.m., there I was, covered in my own vomit, <laughs> lying on the floor in a bus stop with my head propped up on a beer can. Now, rather than face the music, I did something awful. When the police riot van pulled up at the bus stop and my friends scarpered in all different directions, instead of telling the police where I lived and going off home, facing the music, I told the worst lie that I've ever told. And I said, don't take me home, because my dad will beat me up. Now, my dad was the most kind, caring and dedicated man you could ever hope to have as your father. But he really didn't look like that. <laughs> he looked like the kind of guy that might just beat you up. <laughs> he had a dodgy mullet and a feral-looking beard. He always looked a bit tatty and had a fag hanging out of his gob. So this would have been pretty believable to the police. So my dad's at home watching Coronation Street in his pants, <laughs> thinking the kids are out for the night. And he's faced with this incoherent, vom-covered teenager and two police officers. It took him nearly an hour to convince them that he never had and never would beat up his children. Now, the next day was really pretty bad. And my dad's embarrassment and disappointment was almost too much to bear. The police were coming back to do a welfare check. And even though he was so ashamed... He pulled my trophies of academic achievements and sporting wins to the front of the cabinet so the cops knew that I was a good kid. Seventeen came along. And I pretty much perfected the art of obnoxious. By some minor miracle, I'd made it into med school. And it was only six months more before I was out of his hair. Dad had married Brenda. <laughs> Brenda was my fussy, bossy, embroidery-loving, floral-skirt-wearing nemesis. <laughs> she was nowhere near good enough for my dad. And the battle of the alpha females had been raging for a couple of years now. This particular night, I came in late. And all I wanted was my favourite dinner. A can of Heinz ham and pea soup. So I took it out the cupboard and I tried to empty it into a bowl, this gorgeous green gloop. And from the living room I heard her nagging voice. Don't you mess up the microwave. I've just cleaned it. <laughs> Under my breath, whatever. <laughs> so I slammed it in the microwave Uncovered, of course. <laughs> and I watched the heaving soup. 
And as she walked into the room, bloomp, soup all over the microwave. And she was so cross. She got so close to my face, yelling that I could smell her breath. And I just snapped. And I pushed her. And she pushed me. And I grabbed her hair and she grabbed mine. And before we knew it, a grown woman and a nearly grown woman were wrestling on the floor. <laughs> now, I was hiding in my bedroom when Dad came back. And I don't really know how the conversation went. But maybe she said, it's me or her. And the next morning, Brenda was gone. I'd betrayed my dad again. So, Dad, now I'm 35. And I'm not so much of a handful, although my boyfriend might beg to differ. <laughs> Thankfully, Brenda came back. She's really not that bad after all. And I've made my life in Australia and here in Darwin with all these wonderful people. And we can almost laugh about the things that happened back then when I was a teenager. But I guess I don't really know how you did it, being that single parent dad. But I think there's one thing that I really need to say, and that is, I'm sorry. Rebecca's dad sounds like a downright legend, and in fact, I'm sure most parents are, but it's really interesting how it takes those years of turmoil and tantrums to truly shape your relationship. Rebecca is an emergency doctor at the Royal Darwin Hospital, and she told her story at our event where the theme was uncovered. This podcast episode featured sound editing by Rosa Ellen, music by Hilajlo Hassani, story production by Johanna Bell, with funding support from Darwin International Airport. My name's Jess Ong. Thanks for listening.